0: Thank you worship team and hey thank you church. Uh, It is good to see you all. If you've got a copy of God's Word with you, I'd encourage you to get that out at this time and we're gonna be starting a new uh, look. We're, We're starting at Ruth and we're gonna walk through this for the next four weeks. Now, what comes to your mind when you think of Christmas? What, it, what is it that for you, this is what kicks off the season? How many of you, it's like the Christmas tree goes up the day after Thanksgiving, right? The lights on the house never went down, but you finally plug them back in, right? What, whatever it is, all of us kind of have that moment, that thing that it's like, okay, now... It's Christmas. For me, Thanksgiving is the the thing. Like my kids know, we don't do Christmas music. We don't talk about Christmas. We don't put lights up. We don't do anything else before Thanksgiving. No offense if you guys have a different tradition in your house, that's all right. But for me, the Saturday after Thanksgiving is always the day that Christmas really can start because that's the day we pull out all of the decorations. That's the day we get all of those things ready to go, et cetera, et cetera. So for me, that's what I think of when Christmas starts. Right? But then there's all those other things that kind of roll in there. Right? The lights start and then, then the baked goods start rolling in, right? Right? Amen. Testify. Right? The the the, the food for Christmas time and, and and the candy canes and all of those other things, all the sugar everywhere, right? All of those things are great. All of those things are good. And and, and I'm here to tell you, like, I am not one of these Scrooges who's like, you know, you kids get off my lawn. No, Christmas and all of its traditions are wonderful. But do you, like me, agree, think that Christmas is oftentimes overshadowed in our modern celebration? That we might have a tendency to miss, for example, the manger in all of the glitz and the glamour and the traditions and everything else. That we might miss that the reason we even celebrate this is because there was a baby born 2,000 years ago who was God incarnate. Wrap your head around the incarnation for just a second, right? The incarnation, right? That just means when God himself took on flesh, right? Wrap your head around that. And that's what we celebrate in the Advent season. We celebrate God himself coming to us, taking on flesh like us. The other thing we lose sight of in the Christmas season is that he doesn't just kind of like show up on the scene out of nowhere. There's a whole backstory to Jesus that often gets missed. Like if all we do is watch the Charlie Brown Christmas special, we're gonna miss a good part of the Christmas story. The Christmas story doesn't begin and there were in that region shepherds watching their flocks. The Christmas story begins with, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And God said to Abram, Go from your father's land to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a blessing to every nation. And the Lord said to Moses, Do not approach any closer, for the ground you are standing on is holy ground. Take your sandals off. I am that I am, and I am sending you to redeem my people from Egypt. The promised land is over there. Therefore, be strong and courageous, Joshua. And I will raise up for you a king like David who will shepherd his people. And on and on and on. There's this whole backstory to Christmas and so often we miss it because we just jump right into Luke or Matthew. Here's what I want us to do. I want us to understand that we're gonna look at Ruth for the next four weeks. And our minds don't normally go to the Old Testament at Christmas time, but I want you to understand, Ruth Is the story of Christmas. Ruth is the story of how God is working in surprising ways and through surprising characters to bring about his purposes for our redemption. And we're going to get more of Ruth's story as we walk through this, but I want you to turn there with me. And, And what I want us to understand this morning is that Ruth is the story of God's faithful love. And Christmas is the perfect expression of that faithful love. So if you found the book of Ruth, I want to invite you to to read with me as we begin in verse 1. During the time of the judges, there was a famine in the land. Now, we got to back up a little bit. We got to back up. What's the time of the judges? Well, if you look immediately to the left of Ruth chapter one, you'll find what? Judges chapter 21. And so the order of your Bible is not an accident. There's a reason why Ruth is where it is. And it's basically the author saying, hey, this takes place in the time of the judges. Now in the time of the judges, frequently repeated throughout that book is this. Everyone in Israel did what was right in their own eyes. And when they did that, then God would send people enemies, trouble, tribulation, trials, whatever, to get his people to come back to him and to do what was right in his eyes, not what was right in their eyes. And so what happens is the book of Ruth is situated in that time. There's no king. There's no king in Israel. There's, there's, there's no overarching political structure. It's just chaos. And there's trials and there's tribulation. But in the midst of that, if you read through the book of Judges, by the way, it is is one of the most depressing books in your Bible, all right? Which is what makes Ruth even more special because it is not at all that way. Ruth shows over and over and over again God's faithful love to his people. Even in this time of the Judges, even in this time when everything is going wrong in Israel, God is faithful. And there's there's a particular Hebrew word, that is used to talk about God's faithful love. And that word is hesed, right? And I think I got the phlegm in the right spot there, but it's chesed, right? And, and the idea is that this is the kind of love that God demonstrates to his people. It's a covenant love. But frankly, love and, and our modern conception of it doesn't quite encompass the idea. I really like this definition that I came across as I, whoops, I just messed everything up. This definition that I came across, you just have to trust me on this, this is a strong relational term that wraps up in itself an entire cluster of concepts. All the positive attributes of God, love, mercy, grace, kindness, goodness, benevolence, loyalty, covenant faithfulness. Listen to this, in short, it is that quality that moves a person to act for the benefit of another without respect to the advantage it might bring to the one who expresses it said is the kind of love that God has for his people. said is the kind of love that is in view when we're talking about Christmas, when God, while we were yet sinners, sent his son to die for us. Without regard to any benefit that he might gain, he expressed it to us in the sacrifice of his son. That is the kind of love that is in view in the book of Ruth, which makes it all the more incredible that it begins with during the time of the judges. And then it continues. During the time of the judges, there was a famine in the land. Now, wait a second. If Ruth is pointing us to the faithful love of God, how can there be a famine in the land? What's, what's a famine when there's no food, right? You would think that if you were to measure faithful love, kindness, covenant faithfulness, if you were to measure mercy or grace or goodness, that surely the, the God of Israel included in that would be the provision of food for his people. In the time of the judges, there was a famine in the land. When that famine hits, you have an interesting situation because God has said time and time again, I will be faithful to my people. I love my people. I will keep my covenant with my people. So how in the world is there now this famine? That again, we have to go back. We have to see God's faithful love does not mean that his people will never experience hardship. God's faithful love does not mean that his people will never experience hardship. Let's keep going here. During the time of the judges, there was a famine in the land. A man left Bethlehem in Judah with his wife and two sons to stay in the territory of Moab for a while. The man's name was Elimelech and his wife's name was Naomi. The names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They entered the fields of Moab and settled there. All right, so backstory essentially is what the author's giving us. He's introducing us to some characters in the book. Now you'll notice the book is titled Ruth and we have yet to meet Ruth, but we do meet Elimelech, whose name by the way means God is my king, right? God is my king. So here's a a Israelite who is knowing of Yahweh, whose very name speaks of faith, at least the faith of his parents. And when the famine comes, what does he do? He moves his family to Moab. Now look, I don't think that faithfulness from him would mean staying where there was no bread. It's funny actually because that word Bethlehem, how many of you know the word Bethlehem? Right, that's, that's a Christmas word if ever there was one, right? There's this whole song about it that I'm not gonna sing, right? A little town of Bethlehem, right? Bethlehem, is, it, it, I'm not singing it. <laughs> Bethlehem actually means something. It means house of bread. It means house of bread, And there's kind of this irony right off the start, right? There's no bread in the house of bread. And so Elimelech has to go. But where he goes is interesting. He goes to Moab. Now, if we were to go back and dig a little bit, we'd see that in Deuteronomy chapter 3, God said that no Moabite and no Ammonite will ever enter the assembly of Yahweh. No one from Moab, no one from Ammon will ever enter the assembly. And so why does this man take his wife and his two sons of near marriable age to Moab? Well, he needs food, but his choice of destination is somewhat surprising. There seems to be in him this a little sense that Elimelech has lost sight of the faithful love of God. That he, that he has perhaps misplaced his faith in the face of this famine. How many times do you and I get there in our lives? Things are good, things are great, things are swimming along. We're glad to come to church, we're glad to raise our hands, we're glad to praise. But then the bad news comes. And then the hard times roll in. And all of a sudden, what was so clear to us before is now not so clear. God is my king, Elimelech's name says, but the moment the famine hits, he begins to ignore everything that God had said before. And he moves to a place that is outside of God's people and God's covenant faithfulness. And, and I'm not sure, I'm not sure, his wife Naomi's name means, means pleasant or joyful, but I'm not sure that Elimelech and Naomi's thought was really in the naming of their kids. They named their kids Malon and Chilion. Best we can tell, this means sickly and frail. Right? How much do you have to not like the kids God has given you to name them sickly and frail? These are, these are ominous names. And sure enough, they entered the fields of Moab. They settled there. Naomi's husband, Elimelech, died and she was left with her two sons. Her sons took Moabite women as their wives. One was named Orpah and the second was named Ruth. And after they lived in Moab about 10 years, both Malon and Chilion also died and the woman was left without her two children and without her husband. Well, we finally found Ruth, right? But she's a Moabite. She, she's somebody who God has said, no Moabite will ever enter the assembly of Israel. And Orpa, her sister-in-law, and now sickly and frail are both dead, and Naomi's had a time of it, a famine that drove her out of her home. Now her husband's dead. Now her sons are dead, and what's she going to do? Has the faithful love of God failed in Naomi's life? Well, we're going to see that she is pretty convinced it has. We're going to see that she is convinced that this must mean that God has rejected her and abandoned her. However, the truth is he has not. There's a bigger picture. There's a bigger story happening. And this is one of those moments where I should say, spoiler alert, spoiler alert. This is not the end of the story. This is just the beginning. And Naomi's going to see she's wrong. Brothers and sisters, you and I make decisions in the middle of hard time about the faithful love of God, but we're not at the end of the story yet. We're just in the middle of the hard. And why in the world, in the middle of the hard, would we conclude this is the reality? In the middle of the valley, why would we say this is all there ever will be? How do you get a valley? You have a mountain on one side and a mountain on the other. And you come down to that moment. That's not the time to lose sight of the faithful love of God. That's not the time to begin to doubt the truth Hardship does not preclude the faithful love of God. And if the faithful love of God is real, that hardship is going to be temporary. Church, together we're facing hard times. In in our fellowship, we're walking through difficult circumstances. It doesn't prove anything other than this. God has another opportunity to demonstrate his faithful love. The world right now is falling apart, it seems. Or is it? Is God not showing hesed? Is he not giving us his faithful love? The faithful love of God does not keep his people from experiencing hardship, but Naomi's had a double dose. The famine that drives her from her home, the death of her husband, the death of her sons. And she gets to the point where she says, we've got to do something else. Look at verse six. She and her daughters-in-law set out to return from the territory of Moab because she had heard in Moab that the Lord had paid attention to his people's need by providing them food. So she left the place where she had been living and she was accompanied by her two daughters-in-law and she traveled along the road leading back to the land of Judah. Naomi said to them, each of you go back to your mother's home. May the Lord show kindness to you as you have shown to the dead and to me. May the Lord grant each of you to rest in the house of a new husband. And she kissed them and they wept loudly. In verse eight there, there's that word kindness in my translation. Yours may say loving kindness. Yours may say faithfulness, but guess what word that is? Chesed. That's that word. The Lord show this to you. Naomi prays for her daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth, to experience the faithful love of God. And what does she say? May the Lord show that to you because you have showed it to me. Not only does the faithful love of God not keep his people from experiencing hardship, but the faithful love of God is reflected in the faithful love of others, of people. This is, this is oftentimes where we see this kind of thing. Now, you and I both know there's often times where we don't see it in others. But this is the point at which we should say, wait a second, Naomi gets something. And we'll see in a second, Naomi's not in a great place mentally. she's, She's not really healthy. She desperately needs somebody to speak some truth into her life. We'll get to that. But right now she's saying, while I may not see it from the Lord, I want it for you because you've showed it to me. When we get down into the valley, when we get down into those hard places, instead of concluding the faithful love of God has failed, what we're meant to do is we're meant to look and say, where are those reflecting the faithful love of God? How many of you guys have ever been to Eastern Kentucky? Right? The hills and the hollers. Right? One, one of my favorite things said about Eastern Kentucky, I don't remember who first told me this, but I've heard it several times, is you get down in some of those haulers and they have to pipe the sunlight in, right? Like, like We're driving around over there and, and you look at things and you're like, I'm not sure the sun has ever touched the bottom of this ravine. I'm not sure the sunlight has ever been here and that phrase, they have to pipe the sunlight in, made a lot of sense to me. When you and I are down in the hard times, when we're down in the valley, when when we've concluded based on our present circumstances that God's faithful love has failed, what we're meant to be doing is looking for the people who are bringing the faithful love to us. What we're meant to be doing is we're meant to be looking at others and saying, where is that evidence of the goodness of God? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and he said, let us make man in our own image. In the image of God, he created them. We are never without examples of faithful love. If we can't see it from God, even though it hasn't failed, just because you're down in the bottom of the holler doesn't mean the sun's not there. But also doesn't mean that you ought to ignore the fact that there are people reflecting the love of God. Now, here's the difficult thing. Sometimes you're down there, you can't see, and you're looking for those people, Sometimes other people need you to be that for them. Mission impossible. Your mission, should you choose to accept it. This message will self-destruct in 10 seconds and you're like, wow, that'd be the shortest sermon you've ever preached, Brandon. (laughs) Mission impossible. Church, your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to be the reflection of God's faithful love for people who can't see it right now. Your task, church, is to be for others, to be for Naomi, what Orpah and Ruth were. May God grant you the same said, the same faithful love, the same kindness. May God show that to you that you've shown to me. We are meant to be these ambassadors of God's faithful love to others. We are meant to reflect what is true of God. My challenge to you, church, this Christmas season is be somebody's light. Be somebody's said. Be somebody's faithful love. That even if they can't see Christ right now, they can see you. But, again, I mentioned that even though they were that for Naomi, she's not in the best place mentally. Look at verse 10. She said, go home. You've shown kindness to me, may he show kindness to you, but you go home. And they said, verse 10, we insist on returning with you to your people. But Naomi replied, and this is where the gloves come off, return home, my daughters. Why do you want to go with me? Am I able to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. Go on. I'm too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me to have a husband and to bear sons, would you be willing to wait, my daughters? No. Would you be willing to restrain yourselves from remarrying? No. My daughters, my life is too bitter for you to share because the Lord has turned against me. Now we understand where Naomi's coming from. Go away, you faithful, loving daughters in law. Leave me be. I'm too bitter. Now, what is Naomi sending them away from? Naomi's sending them away from her because she's convinced God doesn't love me anymore. Naomi's bitterness is overflowing and she's saying, look, so you don't get caught up in this mess, you should just go home and try to start over. If we go back to Israel and you go back with me, nobody in their right mind is going to marry you girls. That's essentially what she's saying. Nobody in their right mind is gonna marry you because you're Moabites. And so there's no hope of you getting another husband. You'll never find anybody as crazy as Malon and Kilion, right? I'm not gonna have any more kids for you to wait for. And even if I did, you wouldn't wait for them. Just go home. But what's she cutting them off from? She thinks she's protecting them, but what she's cutting them off from is the true God. Go back to your people, go back to your gods. Go back away from this Yahweh. Go back away from the truth. The sad reality is that some of the best arguments against the faithful love of God are the very people who claim to believe in it. Some of the best arguments that the world has against God's Hesed are the people who claim to believe in it. Now, I, I've, I've not been as clued in recently as I have been in previous years, but do y'all remember a few years back where there was a big thing about Starbucks and Merry Christmas? Y'all remember that? Starbucks is taking Jesus out of Christmas. They said, happy holidays and not Merry Christmas, and you had a bunch of Christians get up in arms. No offense if that was you, but Really? Like the best way that we can show people that Christ is in Christmas is to yell at a barista for saying happy holidays. And yet how many times do the people of God, the ones who have experienced the grace of God, the ones who have experienced the kindness of God, the ones who know the faithful love of God, how often are we reflecting to the world bitterness, complaining, grumpiness? The war for Christmas is not being waged in the secular culture. The war for Christmas is the one that's waged in our hearts. Whether or not we will acknowledge that this gracious God, this loving God has called us to be ambassadors of his faithful love. Naomi says, you better leave me. Here's my bitterness on full display. And what she's cutting them off from is not from her. She's cutting them off or attempting to cut them off from Yahweh himself. Gandhi said, I love what I know of your Christ. I cannot abide what I know of your Christians. Brothers and sisters, in this Christmas season, may we not be the argument somebody makes against the faithfulness of God. Naomi says, go away. Leave me be. God has turned his hand against me may I suggest that it is those who have seen the grace of God in him taking on flesh, right? right? Jesus was under no obligation to be born a human. Jesus was under no obligation to get sick and tired. There was nothing forcing Jesus to come and to die For us, for our sins. There was was no reason other than His love. And that love is meant to change us. And in the midst of whatever hardship we're in, in the midst of whatever terrible time we're facing, we're meant to see this is God's grace. Where is God? When bad things happen, where is God in hard times? He's on the cross. He's in heaven, yet bearing the scars of purchasing our redemption. That is incredible. And if we truly grasp that, if we truly grasp what Christmas means, we have to. We have to give testimony to it, not just with our lips, but with our lives, to express this instead of to work against it. Church, it cannot be that those who know the love and kindness of God, the faithful love of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God could be the most grumpy and bitter and complaining people that somebody knows. It cannot be. Instead, instead, we ought to be full of the joy of the Lord, good times or bad. Faithful love is seen in God, and faithful love calls us to respond. Look at this. Naomi says, return home, my daughters. Verse 14, again, they wept loudly, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Naomi said, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Follow your sister-in-law. So what does Orpah do? All right, Naomi, I've been faithful to you. I've shown faithful. I've come on this journey with you. I've walked all this way with you, but now I'm done. I'm not gonna pick on Orpah because she did something that most of us would never do. She's already packed up and moved. She's on the road with her mother-in-law. Let that sink in for a second. She has shown faithful love except that when... That final push comes to that final shove, even weeping, she says, all right, I'll leave. And Naomi's like, see, prophecy confirmed, God has abandoned me. This one who showed me faithful love is now turning her back and going, returning to her home. And she looks at Ruth, why are you still here? Ruth was clinging to her, it says. Look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Again, Naomi is aware of what she's doing in sending them back. Follow your sister-in-law. But Ruth's reply will go down in history and has, as some of the most beautiful words talking about faithful love that I've ever seen. Ruth replied, don't plead with me to abandon you or to return and not follow you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord, note this Lord on all caps, this is Yahweh. This is the name of Naomi's God, May the Lord punish me and do so severely if anything but death separates you and me. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped talking to her. Faithful love never quits. Faithful love never quits. There's a reason it's called Ruth and not Orpah. Because Orpah did all the right things until push came to shove. And Ruth said, it's not faithful if I turn back. It's it's not loving kindness if I go home. Naomi, no matter how bitter you are, no matter how broken you are, no matter how much you are convinced that God has rejected you, he has not because I am with you and I'm not going anywhere. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May Yahweh punish me and do so severely if anything but death separates you and me. This is the first time Naomi stopped talking. And she stops talking because she realizes I can't say anything to change Ruth's mind. Faithful love never quits. Y'all ever been anywhere with your kids? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? I've talked about this before. You've talked about it before, right? This is is the thing. Are we there yet? Well, have we stopped and do you see it? It's like if you ask, does that just mean like, okay, this is close enough? Yeah, we're two hours away, but you know what? We'll just call it right here. No, you've got a destination in mind. Faithful love has a destination in mind. And that destination is what? Faithfulness unto death. Nothing but death is going to separate me from you, Naomi. I'm not going anywhere. This expression of God's faithful love is what finally gets through to Naomi. Almost. Not quite. We'll get to that in just a second. But nonetheless, Ruth shows us what this is meant to look like. It's love that doesn't quit. When you're dealing with difficult people, this Christmas season, faithful love doesn't quit. When you've got that coworker who just won't stop with all the negativity, faithful love doesn't quit. Your neighbor, faithful love doesn't quit. Your in laws, faithful love doesn't quit doesn't matter the circumstances, but this is the the example. Faithful love doesn't quit. Aren't you glad that God's faithful love doesn't quit? I want you to just for a second look back at your life, and I want you to look at those points of which you are least proud. Go ahead. Think about them. Those points of failure, those points of sin, those points of absolute horrendous rebellion against your creator and your hatred to your fellow man being on full display, think about it. And there is where the word says God loved you. God didn't love you just today when you got all dressed up and came in here to sit down for church. God didn't just love you when you got your act together While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. For God loved the world in this way. This is how God loves, and this is where God loves. You were not too far gone for God to love you, to send his son to die for you. If that's not faithful love, if that's not chesed, I don't know What is? So don't you go giving up on those other people either. Don't you go concluding that, oh, that's too far. They've they've, they've done it this time. God didn't give up on you. Ruth sees Naomi at the absolute worst that she could be. And she was determined to not stop showing Naomi what Naomi couldn't see of God. I'm going to continue and nothing but death is going to stop me, Naomi. Naomi. We need some more of that approach to faithful love. No one is too far gone in God's economy. But look at this, verse 19. Naomi stopped talking to her, but she's not done talking to everybody else. 19, the two of them traveled until they came to Bethlehem. Then they entered Bethlehem, and the whole town was excited about their arrival, and the local women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi. Naomi means what? Pleasant, joyful. Don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, which means bitter. For the Almighty has made me very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me pleasant, since the Lord has opposed me and the Almighty has afflicted me? Who is it that just walked with Naomi? all the way, the one that she said, I've seen loving kindness in you, I've seen faithful love in you, Ruth. Ruth, who just walked all the way with her, and yet when the townsfolk are excited, Naomi's back, don't call me that. Just call me bitter from now on. Look, faithful love is something that we choose to see, and it's something that we choose to live. It's not required. You can look at life and you can be as bitter as you want. Naomi's got the perfect example of faithful love walking beside her all the way from Moab, all the way to Bethlehem, and she's still bitter. She's still mad. She's still just grumbling. And she doesn't care who knows it. It's a choice. This world has as many examples of horrible as you could ever want. You don't have to look very far to see brokenness. Right, for most of us it's as simple as just getting up in the morning and walking to the bathroom and looking in the mirror and there it is. Turning on the news, there it is. Jumping on Facebook, there it is. You got all the opportunity you want to see just how terrible and empty and broken the world is. But here's the thing that often gets missed. You've got as many examples on the other side too as you want to see. Now the world's not gonna show them to you, the enemy of your souls does not want you to rejoice, does not want you to know the goodness, but the goodness is there. The Hesed of God is seen in this world. Our problem is we're discipled way more by our social media and by our chosen source of news than we are by Jesus. Right? People talk about news being on a, on a left-right continuum. Right, Like you got Fox News over here on the right and you got CNN over here on the left. And these two appear like they're as far as they could be from one another. Here's what I'm going to tell you. The news is not on a continuum, it's a circle. And what you find is there at the bottom of that circle, you've got people on the right and on the left, both trying to get you freaked out. Trying to convince you that the world is awful and horrible, and the worst thing imaginable is if that other side wins, if they get through what they want to do, and their goal is to keep you in a perpetual state of fear and anxiety, convinced that the loving kindness of God has abandoned his world. Opt out. Quit being discipled by the fearmongers in our society and begin being discipled by Jesus. Matthew chapter five. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your father in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and he sends the rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward will you have? Don't even the tax collectors do the same. If you greet only your brothers and sisters, what are you doing out of the ordinary? Don't even the Gentiles do the same. Be whole, therefore, as your heavenly Father is whole. Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you will wear, isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? And why do you worry about clothes? Observe the wildflowers of the field. Watch them grow. They don't labor or spin thread, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you? you have little faith. So, so don't worry saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? For the Gentiles seek these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be provided for you. Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Faithful love is something we choose to see. You can look at the world and you can conclude God must not be on his throne or he's asleep at the switch. Or you can look at it and you can say, look at those birds and look at those flowers and look at this and that and the other thing and recognize there is good in this world. And I am convinced, and indeed the entire trajectory of creation is such that the good wins. So, why would we give our attention and our time to what is inevitably going to be done away with? It's a choice to see God's faithful love. It's a choice for us to live God's faithful love. Look, Naomi faced hard times. She faced those trials, and what happened to her? Don't call me pleasant anymore, call me bitter. Y'all have faced some hard times. Is that going to be your response? Don't call me joyful, call me bitter. Orpah faced some hard times. She quit. Is that you? Ruth faced some hard times. And she just continued to demonstrate faithful love. She goes on, this book goes on to show us that she's Jesus' great, 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 etc. grandmother. How'd that happen? She didn't give up, she didn't grow bitter. She said, The faithful love of God is going to define me. Brothers and sisters, may we do the same in this Advent season. Let the faithful love of God define us. Let's pray.